just a little small two-part series um, that we're calling Let Love Rule. And we're kind of talking about this rule of love, this idea of love that Jesus left us, which is a little bit in, in contrast to maybe what uh, society and culture kind of has as an idea or an ideal of love. And, and last week, if you were here, I, I hope that it was a blessing to you. And last week, we said we were talking to the married folks, but the singles couldn't check out. And it's kind of like the flip-flop today. We're talking a little bit to the singles or maybe the single agains. But if you're married, you can't really check out because there's some good stuff here uh, that it's not too late for anybody to apply. So make sure that you pay attention. If you see anybody around you nodding off, like hit them with your Bible or something. No, I'm just teasing. Don't do that. Don't do that. But um, I do want to say also uh, thank you for all of the feedback, the questions, the emails, everything that came in. Um, there was so much uh, comments going on after last week's message. We'll have to do more of these um, these lessons later. Just the schedule didn't work out to do more than two lessons right now, but it seems like we might have to do some more here coming up pretty soon. But in case you missed last week, one last thing, you can go to the church app. There's that whole church app thing again, and you can hear last week's message if you miss it. But the reason that we're talking about this, I think it's so important that we talk about this um, and, and that I take some time out of our preaching schedule and just decide to teach on this um, during these couple of weeks, is that the institution of marriage in, in our society, in Western civilization, really, is kind of in trouble, and in the United States, uh, some, some research and studies show us that around 1973, when they did a study on this, over 70% of the people in the United States were married. And that figure has dropped in our day and time to right around 50%. And they are projecting that if it continues in the same arc that it is on, the same downward trend, that in 20 years, only about 20% of the people in America will be married. Only about one out of every five people you know will be married, which is crazy, right? And then when you look at in our society and, and what's going on in our society, the divorce rate is right around 50%, about one in two, you know, about half of all marriages end in divorce. And, and, and that doesn't mean that the remaining 50% are happy marriages. It's just those are the 50% that came to the breaking point. And then you add to that all of the couples and the relationships that split up to where the people were never married. And you can see why people who do not have a Christian worldview, where people who do not follow Jesus, why they would be skeptical of marriage. Maybe they came from an abusive home, or maybe they came from a home where their parents were married at one time, and just the, the fighting and the chaos and everything that went on there, it just made them think for themselves, I don't really know that I ever want to have to go through that. And so the thought is that if I avoid marriage, I'll avoid that pain, but that's not really the problem, is it? It's not the marriage, it's the people in the marriage that, that have some issues that they have to work through. But we understand maybe looking at it from those people's standpoint why people are skeptical of the idea of marriage and, and why maybe they can't see the clear reason why they should get married. And honestly, because we're, you know, I'm a church, we're a church, I'm a pastor, and it starts pointing the finger at ourselves, maybe honestly we could say about the church that we haven't done the best job in giving a reply because the church's response too many times has been to say what we as parents sometimes say to our kids, which is, because I said so, right? And that works with your kids up until they're about seven, eight years old, and pretty soon, you know, 10 years old, pretty soon, especially in the teenage years, because I said so doesn't work anymore, does it? It just doesn't work. You know, you can say it, 
And it might end the argument, but it doesn't mean that it settles the question. It doesn't mean that you have convinced them or done or said what is best for them. And it really only works in a relationship where there is respect for the authority. It really only works in a relationship where there is respect for the one who is saying so. And when you kind of compare this analogy to secular world and the church world, you can see why the divide has grown even more because there is just skepticism about even the Bible, right? The Bible used to be the good book in America. Now, because of our pluralism, the Bible is just kind of one of many good books to people who don't follow Jesus. And there's been the scandals in church leadership. There has been hypocrisy in church folks and and folks... you know, judging and, and, and not being very loving or kind to the people who don't follow Jesus with them. And then you just add all of that to the issues that people have in themselves, P- issues that we as Christians have and issues that non-Christians have. And, and you know, I, I just, I think that our world needs a better answer from the church. I think that our world, our society needs a better example from the Jesus followers like you and me. So what I'm talking about is not that we throw away our commitment to marriage or that we throw away the Bible or what the Bible has to say about marriage, but what I think we need to do is get back to the Bible for ourselves to work on our own relationships, to work on our own marriages so that our marriages and our relationships can truly be a light in the darkness and show people, not, not pointing a finger of judgment, but a, a open, an open hand of invitation and of welcome that, hey, if you see our relationships and you feel that they are blessed, we are here to show you how to enjoy this for yourself. Amen, Pastor Jared. I just thought I'd give him, you know, just, just wanted a couple more out there. Just needed a couple more, all right? And so we kind of landed on this idea last week, and we looked at it, and we, we kind of bumped into this thing that, you know, a lot of times in our previous church conversations, it's maybe gone one way from the man to the wife, but really we found out that Paul had something to say to men and women, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Men submit to women, women submit to men, right? Women submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, which means you have to be willing to lay down your life for her. This idea of submission is not the jacked up, twisted idea of submission that has kind of wormed its way into these, you know, basically creating many tyrants. That was never the intent. But all of this, this idea in Ephesians chapter 5, and that's the chapter of of the Bible that we were reading together as a church family last week. All of these ideas and all of these things that Paul has to say about it are really just commentary on the one thing that Jesus left his followers to follow. The one idea that if we could get this right, everything else would fall into place, all of our relational conflict would go away. And that's a big promise, but it's true. If we could get this one thing right, all of our relational conflict would be solved. And that's what Jesus said in John 13 and other places. A new command I give to you, love one another, to which all of his followers probably said, well, that's not new. To which Jesus probably said, well, I'm not through love each other as I have loved you. Now that's hard. See, we think of love as a feeling and we say, yes, I love you 
right? But that's not what Jesus went through. It wasn't about a feeling. He gave us a verb. And this idea of loving someone as Jesus has loved me, it, is, it supersedes any other philosophy out there. It supersedes any other idea out there. It's so brilliant. It's so much better than anything. It's better than even the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But when you do that, there's this measuring thing going on. There's this judging thing going on. It's a little bit of, if you will, then I will. But if I only love you as much as you love me, then I'm not just a lover of you, I am also a judge of you. Because I have to measure how much love you're giving to me so I can return the appropriate amount of love. But Jesus destroyed that whole paradigm when he said, just love each other the way that I have loved you. Because who knows, or how many of us remember rather, how Jesus found us, when Jesus found us. How many of us remember what we were like when Jesus found us, how he stooped so low to lift us so high. He forgave us and... Amen, Pastor Jared. Just had to throw another one in there. That was good. That was good stuff. Too fat to pat myself on the back. I don't know why I'm patting myself on the back. Jesus said it, not me. But anyway. But if how much Jesus loves me is the measure that I use to love you, then that changes everything. There is freedom and there is space then in our relationship, for me to allow for your mistakes. And how many of you know that people make mistakes? There is freedom and there is space in our relationship for me to offer you forgiveness because I've received forgiveness from him. I am able to give you mercy freely. Why? Because he has shown me mercy. I am able to be kind to you in a whole new way. I'm able to encourage you like Christ has encouraged me, to strengthen you, to challenge you like Christ does for us. And so that's the goal to love each other as Jesus has loved us. And it's not, the goal in relationship is not about finding that one magical unicorn of a person. It's about becoming the kind of person who loves each other like Jesus loves us. And so if our marriages can begin to look like this, we won't need to shout at the world because we said so. The world will be looking at us. Society will be looking to us for the answers to all of their relational ills. Doesn't that sound so much better? Isn't that so much better than because I said so? You know, the, the, Jesus said you're a light to the world, right? Anybody ever been camping out in the dark? I'm not talking about glamping with a trailer. I'm talking about camping in a tent, right? And it's the middle of the night, and you know, you got to find the outhouse, right? And you get up, and somebody's going with you, and there's only one flashlight between the two of you, right? And it's pitch black. You can't see anything. You're hearing things all around you, right? It's just, and you, you tell them, turn on the light, right? Now, there's two things they can do. If they turn on the light and shine it into your face, is that very much of a help? At that point, are you thankful and glad for the light that has been given you? No, it's offensive. You push it away because it's harsh and it's not really helping you see a way forward. It's just a light shining and glaring right in your eyeballs. But if they take the light and they shine it on the path and the way forward to help guide you on your journey, then you're glad for the light. So what kind of light is the church being?
All right, let's go on. But that's the end goal, all right? That's, that's for already married people. You gotta love each other like Jesus loved us. But what if you're trying to navigate your way there? What if you're single or, or single again? And how, how do we get there? What things do we look for in a prospective partner so we can enjoy this kind of relationship? Or maybe even better, how do we become this kind of person so that we can be a blessing to our relationship, especially this, since this, this me for you kind of love isn't really found anywhere in our culture. I mean, our culture is, is just, and I'm, I'm, I'm not meaning to get crass or crude with my language here, but our, our, our culture is so sexualized. It's so over-sexualized in everything. The images that we see in everyday advertisements today would be pornography in a previous generation, you know, to a previous generation. Like sex sells everything, right? And it's actually not sex. It's actually like no strings attached sex with a way above average looking person. That's what sells everything, isn't it? Come on. You can't see an advertisement for a hamburger anymore. A hamburger. The girl's in a bikini with a hamburger. I don't want to think about hamburgers and bikinis. Let me just go on. Let me go on. All right. And then you get the sex scandals that happen in, you know, like in the sports world. The sex scandals that happen in the political world. The sex scandals that happen in our, with our celebrities. And it's to the point now where it's almost boring, right? It's almost boring until the Me Too movement popped up, right? Then everything got interesting, didn't it? Everybody started clicking and paying attention once the Me Too hashtag popped up. Like, wait, let me get all of the dirt that I can. And, and then when you look at entertainment in our culture today, it's just like infidelity and unfaithfulness to a, a forever relationship. It's woven into like almost every form of entertainment that has a plot, right? But then culture's also conflicted because not only do you have, you know, like this whole no strings attached, you know, attraction and chemistry and sex going on over here, but then you have like the latest actress comes out with a chick flick, and what's the ingredient of a good chick flick is that they find their forever one, right? They go through, no, nobody knows what, all the guys don't know what chick flicks are, do you? Yeah, you do. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about, right? The latest rom-com hits the airwaves. It starts airing on, on TV and, and, and every girl and secretly even the guys, they're, they're looking and, and they're ooing and aweing over that forever kind of love. And at the end of every chick flick movie, there's no more happily ever after. Like that phrase doesn't get used anymore, but that could be tagged on to every single one of them. It's about two people finding each other in the sea of humanity. And what they have is so precious and it's so unique and nobody else you know, can have that. And so you can watch a romantic comedy about a guy and a girl who supposedly find forever love and then it cuts to a commercial of a girl in a bikini eating a hamburger. And culture doesn't know which narrative it wants to stick to. Culture doesn't know which story it wants to sell. And it's trying so hard to divorce the physical act of sex and the idea of physical chemistry. It's trying so hard to separate that from ourself and from our conscience and from our personhood, but it can't seem to break the connection. And that's why the Me Too movement has gotten so big because what has happened to these women was not just physical. It has affected them emotionally. 
If you're a faith-based person, you will say it has affected them spiritually. A physical action was more than just physical. And we all know it. But culture keeps trying to tell us that it's not more than just physical. They want us to believe that it is just purely physical. But we have all experienced that it is more than that. Forever love does include physical chemistry, but it is way more than just physical chemistry. It is. I'm telling you, you talk to anybody that's been married for more than five years, they will tell you it is way more than physical chemistry. Think about this. Everybody has a list. Everybody's got a list when they're looking for a partner, right? They got to be handsome or pretty, right? That's, that's usually number one. Maybe some talent. I'd like a little talent from my partner. I'd like somebody with confidence. I need somebody intelligent, please. And if he's got money, hello, somebody. Like dollar bills can make you attractive, y'all. Look at Bill Gates. <laughs> Look at Donald Trump. Come on. Dollar bills make you attractive, you start looking like Benjamin Franklin and George Washington. Get yourself a wig. Go ahead. Right? That hamburger girl. Be all over you. Just do it. <laughs> what else is on our list? You know, their weight, their height, you know, their education level. What career do they have? And then I want to know a little bit about your personality. Do you have a sense of humor, you know? And, and then hopefully if you're a Christian, like the faith thing, do they have a relationship with God? You know, the, the, everybody's got a list. These are a few of our favorite things. We've all got a list. And I checked all of Chelsea's boxes and that's why I'm here. Everybody's got a list. But then somebody that you think is cute looks at you twice and there goes your list. Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, husbands. We're glad for that, aren't we? Because we know we didn't check the list. We didn't make, meet all the criteria on the list. Somebody who's cute looks at you twice, and there goes your list. You were attracted to them. You thought they were cute. And then there was a spark. Ooh, that felt good, right? And now all of a sudden, I'm not looking objectively at my list anymore. Now I'm going by what I felt when our eyes met across the room. And everything else fade to black. And a spotlight came like that new Apple iPhone thing. And it just, somebody played Despacito on the radio. And it was you, you know, you. Some Luther Vandross came on in the background. Just where did that come? There goes our list. And when we're attracted to somebody and we feel chemistry, it feels right. That's why people say things like, when I met him, I just knew right? Wait, you knew before you knew him? You knew before you knew her? Feels right is a powerful thing. Feels right is like a magnet. It just, right, pushes people together. When it's right, they just come to, and then the more powerful it is, the righter something feels, the quicker that people take it physical. It's like hunger. It's an appetite, and when there is that magnetism, suddenly you find yourself just physically drawn to each other and you feel like you can't, you know, keep your hands off of each other. Now, listen, again, I don't want to get crude or crass with my language or what I'm talking about, but this is reality. Can I hear an amen from somebody so I don't have to amen myself? This is reality. 
Let me tell you a truth. Can I, can I, and none of the guys in the room are going to be surprised at this. Maybe some of the girls will. You are physically or sexually compatible with far more people than you are relationally compatible. Now hear me, you need to hear this. You are physically or sexually compatible with far more people than you are relationally compatible. Guys know this. You could spend an hour at the mall and run into 50 girls that you think, I'd like to get her number. If you started a conversation, if you had the moves, if you started a conversation, (laughs) I'm laughing at myself because I had no moves. (laughs) You guys, I was horrible. Is Chelsea in here? You guys want to know what my proposal line was? What are you doing Saturday? I'm not joking. That's how I asked her to marry me. What are you doing Saturday? That was it. I had zero moves. Like, that was it. All I had was this. That was all I... (laughs) Thank God she has poor eyesight. (laughs) Listen to me. You are physically compatible with far more people than you are relationally compatible with, which means you can feel a spark with tons of people that if you ever get together in a relationship, it will turn into an explosion. But yet our society has sold us on the idea that once you found the spark, you found the one. And it's not true. It is not true. You would enjoy physical contact with way more people than you're going to enjoy waking up next to. It's just not the same. And if you ever get into that situation and you do follow a feeling and you throw away everything that I'm trying to tell you and everything that Jesus tries to teach you, and if you ever do follow a feeling and it ever does get to the place where it becomes physical, do yourself a favor. Look them in the eyes and tell them, you're one of a million. To which they're gonna reply, oh, no, no, baby. You mean I'm one in a million. And then tell them, no, no, you're one of a million. It could have been a million other people. It just happened to be you. I'm telling you, I am telling you, it is the truth. And the point is that physical chemistry cannot be the determining factor in a special forever kind of relationship. Forever love includes physical chemistry, but it is way more than that. And every guy in the room knows I'm telling the truth. You know that I'm telling the truth. When people make a a relationship physical, it clouds the thinking. All of a sudden, you'll overlook things in that person that would have disqualified them based on your list. But because of attraction, and then because of the spark or the chemistry that came from a moment, it's not a sign that you have found the one. If you have a spark with somebody, it means that your biology is functioning correctly. That's all it means. 
It does not mean that you have found the one. And we could all probably sit down and come up with a list that you know, would have very few variations. We could probably come up with a list that we would both agree on and things that should be important to a forever relationship. But you, you, you get a spark from somebody and you throw out the list. People throw out the list. And when you treat things that are important as though they're not important, you end up paying a price that is heavy to pay. And then chemistry starts to fade, right? And after chemistry starts to fade, again, forgive the crude language, but guys seem to think that the answer is just more sex. That's what got us into the relationship. We just need more of it. It's like a wrench. Girls, they're the first ones usually, usually it's the girls. They're the first one to bring up the relationship. We need to talk about our relationship. Ladies, before you make regrets, make him talk about the relationship. Can I hear a good amen from somebody? And for all the guys, yes, it's official. I am the world's worst wingman. My bad. But culture and society elevates attraction and chemistry. But that could happen with lots of other people. That can't be what makes your relationship special. And so we're back to dispelling a myth that we kind of hit on last week, the right person myth. And that myth is that when I find the right person, when I find them, then everything will be all right. I'm not saying that there isn't a right person out there for you. There is. The myth is that once you find this right person, that everything will be all right after that. The myth is that attraction and chemistry are the sign that you have found the right person. But listen to me. Every person that has ever navigated the pain and the heartache and the complexity of divorce at one time stood in front of somebody and made vows to the right person thought they had found the right person. One out of every two marriages in our country. So maybe in our society, maybe we're embracing the wrong criteria for finding the right person. Maybe we're looking for the wrong things. Maybe we really are, like that old country western song said, looking for love in all the wrong... Yeah. Man, there was even some black folks that knew that one. There was some Mexican folks that knew that one. You guys know about country music too? I'm, I'm a half breed. I'm half white, half Mexican, so half of me knew it. I know half the song. That's a... But we have bought into the fairy tale idea of love. This is what society is pushing the fairy tale idea that the important part is the attraction, the important part is the journey, the important part is the chemistry that you'll feel when you find the one. But maybe it's time to dump the fairy tales. Maybe if we want to change the outcome, we need to change what we're doing. It's the definition of insanity to keep doing the same things over and over and over again and expect a different result. Maybe it's time to stop watching the bachelor maybe it's time for you to delete all those episodes of Grey's Anatomy days of our unrealistic lives you don't live the rest of your life like you're in a fantasy so stop treating your love life like you're living in a fantasy now you might be surprised if you don't read the Bible much you might be surprised that one of the early Christian leaders actually kind of addressed this whole fantasy thing 
kind of address this whole myth, uh, you know, uh, the, and, and, and his name was Paul, and Paul is a really interesting character. Paul hated Christians, and then Paul became one. Paul, Paul just did not like Christians. When he shows up on the pages of history, he was so anti-Jesus and anti-Christianity, and then, and then he became maybe one of the most prolific Christians of his days, and he, he traveled all over the Roman world telling them about Jesus and starting new groups of Jesus followers, and, and Paul saw all kinds of different cultures. He came from a Jewish culture, and then he saw a Greek culture, and he saw a Roman culture, and he saw the, the uh, Egyptian culture, their influence still in that world. And, and he saw all of that and saw all of their ideas about relationships and, and love, and all of them were flawed. All of these people who had become Jesus followers had brought this flawed idea, of these flawed concepts of love into their Christian faith. And so Paul wrote a letter and he addresses it in one of his letters. He's impressed by God to write some instructions on love and hopefully dispel some of the myth and the fog around love. And he wrote one of the most famous commentaries love on love in all of human, his, uh, human history and human literature. Even, you know, even the Christian critics look at Paul's ideas about love and hold them as the pinnacle of the love ethic. And if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard the first part of Paul's writing on love. But look what Paul had to say about the idea of happily ever after. In 1 Corinthians 13, he said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I even reasoned like a child. But when I put on my big boy pants, when I grew up, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. I used to talk about love like kids talk about love. Fairy tales and pixie dust and Cupid's arrows. When I was a kid, I used to think about love like kids think about love. Well, I need to find somebody who loves me and the one that loves me, they'll take care of me. The one that loves me gives me everything that I need. I get, 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 get. My idea of love is about what I get from the other person. That's a childish understanding of a love relationship. They have no clue of the parent side of the equation, do they? We think about love like children. And then he said, I used to reason about love like a kid. If I could just find that frog and give him a kiss, if I could just find the beast and he could see my beauty, I could turn him into something that he's never been before. And then Paul said, but I grew up. And once I saw Love that had ended in pain and disillusion and blame. I, I put my childish thinking behind me. And Paul, who is for us, Paul's not against us. He's on our side. Paul's trying to help us. Paul warns us about something that all of us kind of intuitively know, but we throw out the window once we meet somebody cute. And that is that if we carry childish ideas of love into our adulthood, we will not end up happily ever after. You can't, you can't enjoy an adult relationship if you're treating it like children treat theirs. And haven't you seen adults that just treat their relationships just so, so I mean, they become like children in their relationships and the way that they treat each other. Men who treat women like toys that once they quote unquote break, once they quote unquote don't give them what they thought they were always gonna get, they throw it away and go looking for another toy. That's a kid's way of thinking. It's a childish way of looking at a relationship. That women who think that love is about playing dress up. It's about being attractive so you can hook a good one. 
Hello, I'm going to catch you a big fish. Stop. You're not a commodity. You are not a doll on a shelf. You are not a product. You have value and worth. And he needs to see beyond the exterior to what you are on the inside. Let him fall in love with that. Not all this. And then you wake up the next morning and all that's gone. And then he's like, whoa. <laughs> Should be disclaimers on that. Like dude pulls out his wedding photo. He's like. Come on. Women who measure a man's worth by his looks in his wallet. Men who want to trade a 40-year-old spouse for 220s. Like somebody said, you're not wired for 220, buddy. Don't, don't even go there. And then not only do people end up unhappily ever after, they think that happily ever after doesn't really exist. But happily ever after does exist. It can be, but it requires both people in the relationship thinking like a grown-up. It requires both people in the relationship talking about love like grown-ups, reasoning about love like grown-ups, which also means that we need to go about looking for love like grown-ups. We need to get a grown-up list, an idea of what love is. We need to use a different criteria altogether, a grown-up criteria of what the one just might look like for us. To which you're probably thinking, okay, Jared, I'll play along. What's the grown-up way to look for love? I thought you'd never ask. Paul addresses it. He's saying if you really want to find forever love, if you really want to find happily ever after, this is what the love looks like that you really need. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It never boasts. It is not proud. It does not dishonor other people. It never seeks its own. It's always seeking the better of others. It's not easily angered. Women, Watch out for a man with a short fuse. Women, watch out for a man with a short fuse. If you're a man with anger issues, listen, I'm not downing you. There is help. There is a better way to be and to exist. But real love, the kind that lasts forever, is not easily angered. It forgets what you did last summer. <laughs> it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. Forever love will always protect you. Forever love will always trust. Forever love will always hope for you. Even when it seems like hope is lost, forever love will always hope for something better in you. You deserve that. You deserve that. Come on and tell somebody around you, you deserve that. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And Paul here is doing exactly what Jesus gave us to do. Paul is parroting what Jesus said, that love is a verb, that love does for the other, that grown-up love is not about what I get from you. Grown-up love is about dedicating myself to give to you, not measuring what you give so that I can just give that much back, but opening up everything, all of my heart, all of my intellect, all of my finances, all of my strength, all of my everything, and I give it to you for your better. I will get under and lift you. I will elevate you. I care for you. I seek your interest before mine. I put you first. 
This is forever love. I submit to you, which just like Christ submitted himself to us, he placed himself under our need. Bore the weight for us. Do that for the other person. Now think about this. When two people are committed to this kind of loving, when two people are committed to this kind of love, to giving this kind of love to each other, that's when we finally start to see what the happily ever after might have looked like. Because see, the fairy tales went up to the end and then they stopped and it just said happily ever after, but it never showed us what it might look like. They left it open to our imagination. Paul is picking up where the fairy tale ends and he's telling you, this is what happily ever looks like. This is what you want. This is what you need. And Paul is saying, this is it. Happily ever after is given, not taken. Happily ever after is given from you to the other. It is never taken from the other to yourself. That's the childish way of looking at love. It's not, I will as long as you will. Grown-up love is, I promise to, even if you don't. Do you ever think about wedding vows like that? Do you ever think about that? There is no if in there. There's no condition in there. I, Jared, take thee, Chelsea. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. When she got cancer, hello, all of these things. I was stuck, y'all. I was, no, I'm just kidding. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And she has been way more than that to me. And it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. And I would never trade her for anything. I don't want anyone else. I want her. I have found the one, and this is what she looks like. See, fairy tales confuse the cause with the effect. But if both people will be willing to do a little causing for the other, then both people in the relationship can enjoy the effects of doing all of the giving. So if you're looking... If you're single or single again, you got a list. You got a list. It's a big one. This is what love looks like. This is your new criteria. This is it. There's a secret sauce. There are the kernels, 11 spices and herbs right there. This is for you to take and to begin work, working on. Find somebody cute who's mastered the list and you got it. Find somebody cute who's mastered the list and is looking for somebody like you and you'll more than likely end up happily ever after. But I know what you're thinking. I'm never going to be all of that. How many of you thought that? Come on. No? I'm the only guy? Okay, there's two more. Thank you. Four of us thought that. The rest of y'all, we're so glad to be in your presence. Thank you for letting us be here today. We think, I'm never going to be all that. And this is what you do. Take the list and start crossing off all the things that you don't really need in your relationship. If you're already married, take the list, start crossing off all the things that you're willing to give your partner a pass on. And once you have that lesser list, which I'm going to say it's probably not going to be too much shorter than what's actually up there, you will find the one. You will have your idea of what you need to be looking for. 
And if you are looking for that in that special kind of person, I can guarantee you that that special kind of person is looking for that in you. So this is our list, not of just what we're looking for. This is our list of what we must become. Because love is about giving and not just about getting. Now you know what you need to start working on. Do you want someone who's not selfish? How generous are you? Do you want someone who's not angry? Do you ever blow off the handle? Fly off the handle? Blow up? Hello, look at this. Do you want someone that will honor you? How much do you honor? Start with your parents. Start with your boss. How well do you honor other people? Do you want someone who always protect you, always trust you? Then maybe it's time for you to start working on your trust issues. All of these things that we want in someone else, we need to start working on for ourselves. It is not about finding the right person. It is about becoming the right person. It's about becoming the right person. Now look, I wanted to help you remember this. Become the who you want to, I do. All right? I got this out of a Dr. Seuss book. Become the who, I didn't really. Become the who you want to, I do. Come on, turn around and tell two people. That's one. Now find your second one. You did one and then you looked at me. Do your second one. Do you see the beauty of it? Do you see the beauty of it? To find somebody who is completely willing to entrust their happiness to you, that doesn't demand anything from you, that is not self-seeking before you, but they have basically with their vow said, I trust you for my forever happiness. And when someone does that with you, there is this mutual return that I also will trust you with my happiness, that I will never demand, I will never take from you. Do you see the beauty of it? This mutual dependence that my happiness rests entirely in your hands and I trust you and I trust you. There is nothing more beautiful than this. There's nothing more beautiful than this. It's what Jesus displayed on the cross. We were given free will. We were never forced to fall in love with him. We were never forced to look at him and to accept him. But he still gave his all. Whether you embraced it and accepted it or not, he gave his all. He became the one that all of us want to join ourselves to. He's given us the example. He's shown us what forever love looks like. And it is way better than anything else. It's way better than anything else. Can you give him thanks before we go on with the service? Come on, can you tell him thank you this morning? See, childish thinking is wishing on a star that someday you will find the right person. Grown-up thinking is getting to work becoming the right person. Childish thinking is that you will magically be okay once you find the one. I'm telling you, impatient people don't magically become patient. 
They will appear patient until you get married. But magic, impatient people don't magically become patient. The magic that happens is that as you begin to shape these values in yourself, what you are attracted to will change. As you begin to value these things for yourself, all those things on the list, as you begin to value those things in yourself, you will start to be attracted to those things in other people. You're going to find someone who seems to be so generous with people in need, and you're going to say, you know, that's, that's awesome. There's something about that. I like that. You're going to find someone who just, how you, you see them in an impossible circumstance when they should have gotten so angry, and it seems like they can control themselves and keep their cool, and you're going to say, that's incredible. I'd like to be in a relationship with somebody like that. And suddenly the things that you are working on in yourself, you will start to notice in those around you. It's kind of like, anybody ever gotten a new car? Maybe not a brand new car, but just a car that was new to you. And you drove it off the lot and down the street and at the first stoplight, what happened? You noticed three of the same car at the light, didn't you? I didn't know I was such a trendsetter. I didn't know everybody was going to buy what I bought. They were there the whole time. You just never saw them because it wasn't something valuable to you. Once these things become valuable to you, you will start to see them in people you never saw before, you never noticed before, and what you are attracted to will change. It will change. It will change as you become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. We see what we're looking for. It's time to leave our childish ideas behind, and it's time to start developing forever qualities in ourselves so that it can open our eyes. Amen. Can we all stand in the room this morning? Now listen, here's the catch. Here's the catch. This writing of Paul has been around forever. These writings of Paul and the list, they've probably been in some of the marriages that ended up in divorce court. You can't become this person on your own. You'll never be, you said I'll never be all that. On your own, you're right. You never will. You need something else inside you that begins to form a new creation on the inside. You need something on the inside that makes you into a new man and a new woman. Jesus has got you covered. It's called the Holy Spirit. We sang about it earlier. We invited the Holy Spirit earlier not just into a room, but into our hearts to change us and to begin to remake us and reform us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we can love like Jesus loves, so that we can forgive and give and be merciful and be kind, protect and trust and hope in other people the way that Jesus has trusted and hoped in us. But you need him. You need him to come into your life You need him to fill up your every moment. You need to depend on him. That's why we're starting the 21 days of prayer. You need to be in in the 21 days of prayer campaign. You need to be a part of that. You need to have habits every single day where you invite the presence of God into your space, into a room, into your heart, into your thinking. And can you imagine what it would be like to have this new start given to you, to have a brand new way of seeing love and relationships given to you. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a brand new power to come and wash you, to forgive you? And whatever mistakes you've made in the past, maybe you're here today and you're wishing you had heard this 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago. You can have a new beginning. It's not too late. It's never too late with Jesus. That's the beautiful thing about the list. It's the beautiful thing about his love. 
See, people are clapping because they know that what I've just said is true. All over this room is story after story that thought things were too far gone, that thought it might have been too late for them, that thought there was nothing in themselves that anybody would love, and yet the love of Jesus Christ has changed us, has found us, has washed us, has purified, not because we deserved it, but because there's nobody like our Jesus. Come on, all over the room. Can you lift your hands and love him and worship him this morning? Jesus, thank you for your love. God, who could love like you? God, we've never experienced love like your love. Jesus, some of us have thought we had it. We've, we've tried relationships and we thought we were there. We, we thought it was, it was the right thing, the right time, the right one. And Jesus, it, it just wasn't. And Now we hear there might be hope, Jesus. Now we hear there might be a new beginning, a new start. Help each and every one of us this morning. God, I'm about to open this altar in this front area and invite everybody close. But Jesus, would you help us all to believe in a new beginning, to believe in a fresh start, to believe and to hope and to ask you for a new creation on the inside. We need you this morning. We need you this morning. We need you today. Would you do that this morning? Can we all come close? Come on, everybody together.